podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Now we're back in the Denby Castle after that. Um, I won't describe the move as jubilant. I think everyone's just absolutely knackered after what's been a mad few weeks and, and going through that game. I've got Matt Flusk, I've got Jack and I've got Alan uh, making his post-match debut. Um, I'll come to you first, mate. Uh, first time you've been at Goodison since... The Watford 2-2 game back in 2018, um, just unbelievable that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was mad. I mean, obviously back then the expectations were a bit different. We were uh, doing well under Marco Silva, pushing to maybe get into a Europa League or even a Champions League place. And I think going into this game, the expectations were completely rock bottom. Like, I think personally, before the game, I would have been happy with a 2-0 defeat where we lost <laughs> 1-0 and it scored the second goal in the final five minutes, but didn't reflect the result. Um, or the performance should be saying so to win the game in the manner in which they did but they weren't inferior at all they played you know not superiorly to them but they played very much on their own terms completely focused aggressive you know front foot I was right behind Sean Dyche in the touchline he was really live very like alive to every single ball completely switched on to everything going at the fourth official for everything as well which is important to me yeah, I tell you by comparison was quite subdued um, you know for the whole kind of com- combination of things happening in that way was brilliant like so yeah it's all about dice though isn't it Jack you know when you when you think about it you know the, the week that we've had and all the stuff going on off the pitch all the, the lack of transfers and the focus on that and he's just come in and made the best possible first impression hasn't he just the difference a coach makes I think I think from minute one to minute 90 I thought back to front he just looked more organized as Alan says there the front foot stuff but not pressing like lunatics and, and leaving gaps all over the place and as we have been doing in recent weeks it was pressing when necessary forcing them down blind alleys and making them play our game and it was it was reminiscent of like some of them old like one nil wins of old where you like, playing against a team that okay on paper might be more talented than you but if your game plan's right you take your chance which we did when it fell and defend as a unit. I think you get, you do get your just rewards. And I, it was nothing um, short of what we deserved today. That wasn't a spawny one 0 like the previous ones had, like the Ashley Williams games, where it's like fluke a goal and kicking it everywhere. That wasn't anything like that. And I think they can be unfortunate not to win two or three nil. But at this point, I think take the three points and what a start for um, for Sean Dyche. Because I think, to be honest, as Alan perfectly touched on there. I think a spirit of defeat today would have been what we expected and probably gone, yeah, OK, get on to Liverpool, let's see. But now it's, it's three out of naught for me because I, I didn't expect anything today other than a, a better performance. So absolutely ecstatic. Um, Matt, that was the team that played 19-116, drawn two today. Um, and I've been amazing all season. And you know, I've watched a lot of Arsenal's games this season. I've not, I've not seen them look that uncomfortable at any point throughout this entire campaign. No, not even in the defeat to Man United. Um, I'm not a football manager, so I can't tell if that's us having a really good game plan or just getting in the faces or whatever. But Sean Dyche said in his press conference about 50 times the word effective, and that's what it was. It was just effective all over the pitch. We didn't let them have a moment's rest. Every time it even went back, we were chasing them down, parrying them, pressuring um, the goalie into a mistake, which we know he's got in his locker. And, yeah, it's just... It looks like we've signed 11 new players and given them the same names. It does. Like, I've, I've been on this post-match all season, slagging off Garner Gay and Dwight McNeil and all of them. I haven't got a bad word to say about one of them today. And I'm just... I'm, I'm not so much eating me words because, you know, the proof in the pudding and all that. But, bloody hell, like, completely transformed, especially Dwight McNeil. 
and it's got to be. I mean, the only thing that's changed is the manager. It's just got to be the management with him. Yeah, I'm. I'm just yeah, I'm kind of lost for words to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's ecstatic, made up. I'm knackered also. My heart rate's only just about come down. Um, yeah. Let's have a disco. <laughs> it was just one of those games, Alan, as well, where like when you think of Grace Everton wins down the years, you know, it had a bit of everything, didn't it? It had a, a header from a, a cross at the Gladys Street. It had a shit referee. My God, he was absolutely horrendous today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was absolutely awful, you know. And, and listen, we've, we've not got longer this place left, and, you know, those, those are the days that you associate with Everton, aren't you? And, and the way in which the team played... The direct play, getting it forward to a striker, getting crossed into the box. Listen, it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but it feels like it's a great fit for Everton, albeit at a very early stage. Yeah, I mean, the three things that stand for me the most was obviously the goal, the fact that it was a Burnley goal in terms of McNeil crossing and Tarkovsky scoring and, like, Matt spot on. I thought McNeil did really well today. He was diligent, he was hardworking, he was intelligent. And when I say he was kind of tenacious, he wasn't tenacious like a certain former... 21-year-old winger was in terms of sparking fights that distracted people. He was actually working hard to benefit the team, and that was important to me. You had the fight as well, the, the scenes that we don't want to see, but everyone wants to see. When Mape and uh, Zinchenko had at it, and all of the Everton players piled in on top of it, which I like to see personally because they're all fighting for each other, they're not disassociated from each other like some sort of uh, you know this passionate team, shall we say. And then also we had the uh, Onana, I thought he was so good today. His character, like I, I was saying to a few people during, the, during today, that I think Onana could be like Richardson, not in terms of his ability maybe, but in terms of his character, his personality. The fact that he's a bit mad, a bit crazy, he gets the football club, he gets the supporters. Like he made one challenge one point on, I think it was Saka, where he really kind of came in from behind and made a brilliant yeah, clean yeah. receive. He also made a great moment down in the second half, late in the second half, where he was kind of jostling with, I think it was uh, maybe Tadamiyasu, yeah, I think, yeah. and he kept it in, and then he went up to the, fa- the family enclosure, and he was giving it the big one, you know what I mean, like it was, I love to see that person, I think it's uh, it's something that we need in football, you know, and I think that a character like him is almost a reference point for us to hang our hat on for these next 18 months going into Goodison Park, and before we go to Bramley Moor. That, that bit at the end, Jack, where um, it was like before that fracas started with Mope and um, Zinchenko, where there's like two balls on the pitch, like Ramsdale took the goal kick, and then it got stopped again. Uh, I think the ball boy pushed Zinchenko over, and it was just all a bit manic and a bit chaotic, and the crowd were going wild. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was, it was just one of a better term. Very, very Everton. Um, and I think you don't like to do the cliche too much of, oh, we're better when we're angry and stuff, but that's when when the six minutes went up the next thing the fans were like you know you'd think oh here we go they're going to score but it wasn't like that and, it, and I sit in the park end and I can tell you it wasn't like that everyone was like come on this is massive and there wasn't a single side there wasn't any even any tutting there wasn't any standing up and walking out it was let's all get behind them and I think from that it fed into each other and they said rightly we've got to give it and they've got to give it and I think when it's that organic we're not going to win every game we're not even going to draw every game but it's important that if that feeling's there it'll get it will take them getting more points and it'll lose them and I think for too long this season they've been shedding water it seems like the midfield are doing their own thing the defense isn't listening it seems like it's been an absolute mess and I think all pull in the same direction and it, you know as I say you'll get more points than you won't and I think it seems like very very early days and you don't want to go too overboard but it's the right direction that I think we're pushing in now and I feel like 
it does seem quite Everton-y and I think that's probably not a bad thing in the situation we're in yeah um, just to jump in with something bit of a tangent you're talking about big Goodison games and that and we haven't got many left it's got me thinking we almost never win the early kickoff on a Saturday it's, it's become a bit of a cliche with us and I just checked there we've won three since the start of 2020 season one United, one was United, and one was West, uh, West, Brom. West Brom. Yeah, at the very start no, of 2020. Five, two, yeah, five two. Yeah. Game, yeah, all the others we lose, like we more often than not lose. So for that to be Dice's first game, it's just it's absolutely massive for him to pull that out of the bag. And yeah, it was a free hit, wasn't it? It's. Yeah. It felt like the fans like straight away though, like. Everyone got on board with it, didn't they? Yeah, saw what they were trying to yeah. do, and like it, it went from there. Absolutely. I mean, my dad said to me about two minutes in, we need a big tackle. Yeah. Like we just need a big tackle to get everyone going. Luckily, some of the antics out of them in the first half that got us right fired up. Especially that one right in the corner below me, in front of the Gladys, when um, Martinelli was it oh, goes down oh. grabbing his face. And honestly, the referee blows up. Both stands on that corner completely erupt, and you just see the referee's face drop, and he knows he's fucked it up. Is he the referee who like told Angelotti to off your pop and sent him off? He's, he's so, he seems to be so arrogant. He was awful today. Yeah, he, he really was. And like talked about it before, six minutes added on was a joke. He actually played about seven and a half, seven forty-five. Two of them minutes was him mucking about with Tarkovsky and Pickford, and the fans don't even know what's going on. Like, the fans are like, can we just play? Like, we're not saying, yeah, yeah, wind the clock down, wind the clock down. Like, can we actually watch a game of football here? He just didn't have control of the game at all. There was one point when uh, Malpey was surrounded by five Arsenal players, and he's just stood there watching it. And they're there, like, going right on him, and he's not talking to him, not trying to break them up, didn't even book no one. And then we saw the inevitable uh, outcome at the end when we had a good old-fashioned scrap with every blue shirt from different parts of the pitch just all streaming in together, and I absolutely love that. And if you're a team who's 1-0 down at Goodison Park, you do not want to start something like that because there's no way in hell you're ever going to come out of it on top. Like That was the moment, basically, when they, we've won the game there. There's no way they can come back from that. That's one of those things that you only really appreciate when you're at the game. When you just see every yeah. shirt on the pitch yeah. converge into like this small spot. You're like, right, here we fucking go. It's, it's, it's all going to kick off now. just to come out as well. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah, so you've got a manager on there now, you definitely wouldn't want to mess with me, but in, in, that, in that sense. But, um, you know, Alan, you know, there's so many players we could speak about, uh, but you mentioned one of them briefly there, Anana, and, you know, it'd be great to get everyone's thoughts on him, because I think we've all sort of said, you know, so-and-so was excellent today, so-and-so was excellent today, but I think it's, the consensus seems to be that he was the best player on the pitch, and, you know, a, a lad who's young, who's, you know, let's not forget, hardly played any football, really, in, in France last season, he's been brought on potential, and, He's emerged as it's, it's been weird because I think while the team's been pretty awful over the last few weeks, it feels like he's sort of played his best football. And at the moment, in a midfield battle there, which contained Party and Jacko and Erdegaard and so many other great players, he was the best player on the pitch, I thought. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, like, I think some players I like from the beginning. I liked him from the beginning. I just like the way he carries himself. I like his character. And also, I think. It, it, the mind boggles for me when you have a player like Gordon, for instance, who wants to leave during the season and force a move in that sense to rupture a connection with your boyhood club to go get that move to Newcastle, to not to Chelsea, not to Spur, not to a Champions League club, but to a Newcastle. For me, it's a, it's a bad reflection of your character, essentially. But I think for the true players, the true players you want in your team, the likes of Richarlison, the likes of maybe Onana, you got players who are willing to stay at the club during winter, fight through the relegation battle, keep us up, 
And then, if he wants to go to a Champions League club, you bid him farewell with, you know, only good tidings. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, Richardson, nobody begrudged Richardson leaving the club. When he was scoring goals in the World Cup for Brazil, nobody begrudged him because he did it the right way. And there's certain, there's something to that in football, doing things the right way, because at the end of the day, if you treat a club like a commodity, a fan base like a commodity, you're down tools. It's going to reflect badly. I think Onana realizes that, and it's a logical career move for me, for him, to perform hard now. And in the summer, if he wants, he's going to get the move he wants because he's performing so well amid such chaos. Instead of saying, "Oh, I'm not performing well because of the chaos. I need a structured environment." This is a mind biography. I think the likes of Onana and Gordon are opposite characters. I think that one's career is going one way, yours is going the other way, and I know which one is which. And Jack, you ever seen a player celebrate tackles as much in your life? I think between him, Tarkovsky and Cody, there's, um, it's quite the award that. But now I thought. I thought personally, like for my own thing, I thought McNeil was excellent, but I do think probably as best footballer on the pitch, I thought it was Onana. I thought he fed into the crowd, the crowd fed into him, and he seemed to be running as much in the 88th as he was in the 8th. And I just thought overall, he was everywhere. It reminds me of one of the early days um, for Laney performances when he'd turn it on, and all of a sudden you'd be like, Jesus Christ, like we've been misusing this fella. And I do think, as Alan says there, you can tell he's got the character in him that he probably will go on to ridiculous things. But at the minute, hopefully we can nurture that talent and he's, he's going to be our talisman, certainly in the running now. And then hopefully into next season as well. But I just want to, another mention, I thought Tarkovsky was excellent today. I thought he become a bit of a caricature in recent weeks with this. Oh, Jim, when he said about the dads thing and Jim, when he said this, and I thought, well, yeah, okay, fine. It's like the tackle against Brighton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, for the thread. But I do think, in general, I think he has stood up. He hasn't always been the best player on the pitch. He has, he's not always been the worst either. But I thought today, that was so, so evident in the performance. He did it in every block. It reminded me of, like, Jagielka. It was every tackle, every block, every header but always with the talking as well and I thought he deserved his goal and I'm absolutely made up that it was a um, set piece goal as well yeah, absolutely yeah. made up because it does feel more visceral I think yeah. and because of that there's the anticipation and you know how many costs and how many corners going without a goal but I think it's still for me one of the most beautiful feelings in the ground is a set piece goal of the Gladys and seeing yeah, yeah. everyone get up and I just thought in general I thought there wasn't a single person out there that I thought was poor today, but I think it was probably Onana just pipping Tarkovsky. Yeah. It was such a strange goal as well because the ball comes in and there's like a cluster of like two Arsenal players, like two Everton players, all like jostling, ready to jump. So we all seem to be focused on them. And you just see the ball just sort of come from the side of the peripheral. It doesn't like leap, doesn't leap, does he? It's just sort of like forces it in. It's like it's almost like everyone, including Ramsdale, is just distracted by the stronger players. And then the ball the ball doesn't actually go there. And it's just like bing straight across. It was very odd. Like I, I didn't actually see it go in, I just see it hit the back of the neck. It was very and this is literally right below me. So it must have you must have fooled everyone with it. Um go on. No, can I just ask I don't know what anyone else's opinion of this but I don't like using the old um, adage of you didn't fancy it today, and I don't want it because that I feel for me. No, I, and I did shelter at one point when he said his but yes, I don't want to sound too, too reductive. But I'm interested to get like the other guys' thoughts. Do you think today, when the crowd got when the crowd got up and when it become that aggressive? I don't know. I've seen Arsenal wilt before with us, but obviously they are a better side now. But I just felt like not to take away from our performance. But they did not seem to be like up for it. And I noticed it with about 
15 to go when the crowd got up. The Arsenal fans were even stood there completely silent and it was like, I think we took them by surprise and I do honestly think it's made such a difference saying I don't think he did want to know. I genuinely don't. I think the narrative Arsenal is interesting because like obviously I live in London so I was up in Finsbury Park for the United game two weeks ago, two Sundays ago and it was incredible, genuinely. The atmosphere in the pub, it was completely packed. The, the city, it's, there's something happening in Arsenal this season where it's buzzing, you know. Um, but I think that today I agree completely. I think that uh, it's unfair to say they were off the boil because we played well, we deserved the victory. It wasn't because they were off the boil that we won, but they were a bit below par. And even Arteta was very subdued in the sideline. I was right behind him. He wasn't his normal self. He wasn't, like, Deich by comparison was so much more energetic, so much more demonstrative. Uh, Arteta wasn't in the same sense. This lacked a bit of sharpness. Odegaard wasn't fizzing balls like he normally does. Enkedia wasn't quite as confident going through on goal. Saka and Martinelli weren't as dangerous in the wings. I think mean, part of that is down to everything playing well and defending well and playing hard. But part of it was definitely down to Arsenal being just a couple of percentage points off. And I think coming into a narrative like Everton's today, where the atmosphere is good, Carl Rockford, as you said, that's going to cost you basically, you know. I think it just goes show as well, like. It's, it's cliche and a bit cringe, but like the effect like the crowd can have on, on teams. You know, like they they've gone to places. You know, I watched them against Spurs the other week, and like that's obviously a derby game, but the atmosphere just felt like a bit a bit shite and a bit and a bit and a bit flat, and they absolutely ran ran riot. But you know, you know, it's, it's, this thing about Goodison isn't it? It's tight, it's horrible, and when everyone's right on top of a team, when you've got four boys shoving you over and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, people can lose. You know, Zinchenko seems like one of the calmest fellas of footy players going, and he, he lost, he lost, he lost the plot. He lost the. It didn't, didn't show it on TV, I think, from what the lads were telling me. They were at the game, but apparently, uh, well, apparently I was there. I was watching it with my own eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was a scene basically just before the uh, Mopé incident where some ball boy had like a tussle with Zinchenko and pushed him over, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was like a bit of a thing, and then after that was the incident with Mopé, where. To be fair, Mopey did swipe at him with a pretty vicious kick, like. But, but yeah, I think he definitely was an example of a player who lost his head a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, well, they got away with a couple themselves. Arsenal. There was that one in our box, very, very, very late, very late, and I'm, I'm astonished to be I'd even even have a quick check of it. But I think Arsenal did have large spells today, which were they did, they were moving it around like they have all season. And I think to our players' credit, they didn't panic. There wasn't any of this like sort of scrambly defending. And I think one moment that really sums it up is um, I don't know which Arsenal player box, like just steaming into the box, heading straight for Cody. He doesn't move. He just stands completely still, and he just goes right past him, and the ball sticks to his foot. He doesn't even blink. And all of them, all game, like we had loads of blocks, but they weren't like last, you know, last gasps, salmon dives. They were just very calm, very collected. They kept a really good structure. And yeah, that's coaching. And yeah. Where's it been? Where's it been? It's not on. Started in the second half. They did come up better. They moved the ball way faster. And I was thinking, oh, fuck. They've woken up here. It's going to be an onset at some point. But it wasn't. Like the lad said, Cody and Tarkovsky especially led by example. Gana played very well. Onana was obviously very good. And Wobi and Decore did some hard running too, to be fair to them. It was just a very collective effort, you know? Uh, just one, a couple more plays I want to mention before you wrap up. Jack uh, Carvalho and thought that was his best game for ages today. Um, he was just involved, and like I think for so often, like he's been a player that's like sort of been on the end of chances and been disconnected from the game. But he's got so many great assets, and, and it, it felt like that's the best we've utilised him for a long time today. Tell you what, I love that bit in the first half where he won it, turned into someone, yeah. and then he done like a former like a drag back to get past someone. I haven't seen that since probably 
the Marco Silva days where he wasn't scoring, but he was affecting every single game. And that today was only a, a hair's breadth from getting a goal. And I just thought overall his performance in general, he was quick, he was strong, he was aggressive, he put himself about, he was winning headers. I thought that was like Pete Calvert-Lewin. Okay, he didn't score. But when he affects the game that much, it makes such a difference for our overall team. It gets us higher up the pitch. It makes the midfield go more aggy and get further up. And it gives us a platform to build off because you could notice a marked difference and it's not detracting from more pay, more showing the difference in level to Calvert-Lewin. It's how much that dropped and how much deeper we got after he went off. So, absolutely outstanding today. Calvert-Lewin too is like, when he's in full flight, he's, he does the work of uh, two centre forwards effectively. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's a phenomenal asset to have. I think he's spot on in terms of saying that, you know, I remember before he started scoring, he was playing very well. And then he started scoring and the goals didn't stop coming, basically. And that could be the same this time, you know, where he starts scoring, he gets a lucky break at one point, and then the goals begin to come genuinely. Like, you know? but, um, but yeah, I think he's... The big if reference in the season is if he's fully fit and firing, then it changes our attack completely. It changes the face of our attack, the face of our team completely. There's nobody else in a squad comparable. There's nobody else we could get in the market who's comparable to him in his skill set when he's fully fully informed. You saw that when Murray came yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of for Calvert-Lewin to be confident in his body again. To, to feel strong, to feel kind of, you know, ready to run at players and run down channels and win headers. And it was tough for him today against Gabriel and um, Saliba because they're two very physically confident, physically strong players. Like, But I thought he did well. Very well. Um, finally, Matt, um, Seamus Coleman again. You know, I was... Before the game, I was a little bit scared. We're all <laughs> well, the honor of Guinness for Seamus. Yeah, we were all, we're all the Guinness for Seamus. Um, but listen, he, he's, he, was, he dealt with Martinelli really well, saw him off, and then Trossard came on. He probably was a bit more of a threat, but he saw him off too. And, you know, listen, he keeps rolling the ears back every now and then, doesn't he, produce performances like this. That, that overlap with the Wobie. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like... Throwback. Absolute throwback, yeah. But I'm... I know that Coleman's got years on him now, but maybe I'm just sympathetic to him because I absolutely love the bones of him. But he, it's not so much that he rolls back the years, he's, he's becoming more intelligent, obviously more experienced, and he's modifying his game as the years go on. And, you know, not so much dropping back, but he's, he's moving a little bit earlier because he knows he's not as quick as he used to be. Like that one where he sees out the player for um, a goal kick. like. Five, six years ago, he probably would have thrown the tackle, conceded the corner, but he knew he didn't have to, so he just shepherds the ball out. Doesn't concede the corner. It's just experience, isn't it? I mean, what's he now? Nine managers he's on? Nine permanent managers? I mean, for a player, and whatever you say about him, whether or not he should be bombed out, he's still starting Premier League quality. He is. He might not have the legs to play 38 games a season, but he, for a player of his... Of his humble background when it comes to football, without any of this fancy academy nonsense that a lot of players have, worked his arse off, had nine managers and how many caretakers, to still be such a consistent performer in the top league of football, it's just, it's just outstanding. And I hope he gave him an absolutely massive testimonial, because he, he honestly, he deserves it. And it's a bit of a Bill Kenwright shout, but he does embody the club, doesn't he? Like... Coleman. He, you see how much he meant to him. He came right over to Gladys. Yeah, again. he did, yeah. And like, that was like, on his own. Like, none of this nonsense with, you know, all the players lined up and all that stuff. No, it's just him by himself, just slapping the chest as he always does. It's just, I adore him. I really do. Yeah, no, I echo it. I think there's a lot of things you can criticise a lot of our players for. 
but effort, fight, heart, leadership integrity with him has never been one and I think he's one that doesn't deserve any of the criticism that's been sort of thrown his way this season I think as you rightly say he's gone through how many managers but he's always stood up and been counted he always seems like I think I just imagine he's one of them people in the dressing room that would never be like overly snide I don't think he's someone that are, that, are, that are down tools I think he just seems like someone that's just very very level headed very humble but that shouldn't go before the fact that as Matt says he's still a good player just because he's not just because he's not the 20 like 13, 14 Coleman doesn't make you a bad player and I think he's, he's had to adjust his game and he should get more um, applauded than he deserves for that to happen to adapt because you can't always be the same player at 33, 34 than you were at 23, 24 but I think overall made up for him today and I made up absolutely made up that it's a clean sheet as well yeah, uh, yeah I think with Seamus the thing is like you know like the lads were saying it's not his fault that he wasn't replaced basically like it's not his fault that there was no upgrade brought in like there was for Bainsey when they were in Luca Dean and there was a clear succession plan in place. If Seamus is, I guarantee you, he will leave no stone unturned. He will cut no corners. In every aspect of his life, he's teetotal. He's a family man. He's completely focused. He's not fucking about at all. Like He's completely honed in on doing the best for Everton and doing the best for Ireland as well. Um, obviously, he's an Irish person. I'm maybe biased towards him. But, but I love him. Like I mean, like he's been at the club for since I was maybe... 14 years old, so he's kind of I've grown up with him, like you know, um, and yeah, I, I I always feel as harsh the treatment he gets because I think he gets the same treatment as Scousers, as the likes of Tom Davies or maybe uh, you know Ross Barkley in the past. In terms of he's almost one of our own, so he gets a bit more scrutiny than somebody who's like a foreign import perhaps. But I think that, and also I think that the um, he's borne the brunt for a lot of you know rallying calls. You could blame him for the rallying calls, but I guess like what is he supposed to say in these situations? You know, like, what's the like he has to say these things, you know? So yeah. I'm glad I, I would love for him personally. My dream for him to be see his everything career with dignity in a competent, stable team and in an ideal world, win a cup. If he win a cup before he leaves, I would love it so much. Next season maybe. Last season at Goodison. <laughs> We're already on the dice train. He's Arsenal and now we're winning trophies. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen. You get a good run in the cup, it can happen. Like, you know? There we go. I would love to have that happen. That just tells you everything about Everton. One win and we're going for all the cups. Um, that's it. We'll leave it there. Cheers to Matt and Jack and Alan. Uh, we are as ever in the Demi Castle for our post-match podcast. It is the best place to come. Win, lose or draw for the Blues. Matt's going to go sort the disco out now, aren't you? Um, so, yeah, we'll have a sing and a dance and a bevy. Uh, cheers for tuning in. I know it's been hard recently. Cheers for sticking with us and getting all those fucking toppies. Sports Social Podcast Network.